We have an exciting opportunity uh, this morning. It's going to be a little different. Um, we have a brother who's from a, a ways away, California, who's come out um, to be with us this morning and kind of throughout the day. And uh, his name's Jonathan McKee, and um, he loves Jesus. And he has a passion to come alongside young people and come alongside parents and come alongside people that work with students to encourage them just to build bridges and open conversations and, um, and help us together collectively fix our eyes on Jesus as we continue to walk this life alongside each other. And so Jonathan's written over 20 books. Um, he's traveled all over the country to encourage families and encourage brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, uh, and he's from California. So uh, we'll just welcome Jonathan as he comes up and shares with us this morning. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jim. Hey, there we go. As we're getting the tech adjusted here a little bit and getting corrected, uh, thanks so much for having a California guy out here. Uh, you know, weather's really similar out where I live. Um, so it was fun waking up this morning and thawing out. Uh, I was trying to learn. I was just watching everybody else, what they did with their car, so I could learn what to do with my car, because I had no clue how to thaw the thing out. I popped the trunk. Trunk didn't pop. It was frozen solid. Wasn't used to that. So, uh, no, having some fun there. Also on California time right now. So, uh, welcome to the 7 a.m. service. I'm excited to be here. This is good stuff. So, no, I get a chance to travel around quite a bit. And uh, literally, this is one of my favorite things to do is uh, talking with God's people about his truth. And uh, sadly, uh, in the culture we live in, there's so many lies out there in a world overflowing with lies um, as we're raising up this next generation, the question that moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles are asking about as we raise this next generation is, how do we teach them truth in a world so comfortable with lies? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and I encourage you to come uh, this afternoon just down the street as we're going to really dive into that, what that looks like. And so whether you're a parent a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle, or someone who cares about this younger generation, um, that's going to be a great time for us to dialogue about that, and I encourage you to come back out. So it's interesting, uh, wherever I go, it doesn't matter if I'm in Texas, or if I'm in New York, or if I'm in the Midwest, or if I'm literally in, you know, somewhere on the West Coast, wherever I am, it seems like the biggest issue that when parents come up and talk to me, or grandparents talk about interacting with their grandkids, the issue that comes up right now is screens. Everybody always wants to talk about this little device right here. And I'll just tell you straight up, uh, you know, even young people sometimes get nervous when I start talking. They think, oh, great, is this the guy that's going to tell us our phone is bad? Well, no, actually, this, this thing got me here this morning. I listened to this, this soft female voice telling me exactly where to go, which a lot of us men are used to, actually. But, you know, uh, so, so, but it, you know, told me when to turn left, when to turn right, you know. I'm actually going to read scripture off this uh, simply because my eyes are really bad and I can make the font very big on this, you know. Um, I mean, this is a great tool. It's a great tool for connecting with us, with people outside the room when it doesn't interfere with our relationship with the people inside the room. And see, that's just it. What's happened is sometimes we allow this, like so many things in our lives, to become a distraction. Now, moms and dads here, we might remember the good old days when phones just were talking and texting. That was it. We might remember the headlines back in the days when, it, you know, it was like the big concern was how many texts kids did per month, you know. And everybody was in an uproar about how many texts there were. And we probably didn't even realize what was coming when it came to this device right here. 
This device that has just a cornucopia of distractions on it. Now, it all changed because a guy wearing jeans and sneakers walked out on the stage in January 2007. He made an announcement. And what he did at that particular time is back in 2007, social media was always plugged into a wall. And then texting and phone was mobile. And then we had another gadget yet that was with our entertainment, like an iPod or whatever. And he joined those together. Now, since that has happened, we now live in a world where the average age of a young person gets a smartphone is 10.3 years old. That's just the average. And that makes it difficult because sometimes for us as parents, if we want our kids to wait, if our fifth grader comes home and says, Mom, Dad, all my friends have smartphones. We're starting to see how young it is happening that young people are getting smartphones. And they're growing up with them in their bedrooms. As a matter of fact, we're getting so used to them that sometimes it's just easier, honestly, for driving in the car to just hand them a screen because they're more better behaved that way. So it's no surprise when they get older that they still want that screen. Teachers are going through this right now. Do we, do we ban screens? Do we allow them? What do we do? And it's changing the way people communicate or don't communicate, um, around campus and around just places where they hang out. It's changing the way we see ourselves. As a matter of fact, kids are growing up now realizing that part of who they are is how they put themselves on display. And because of that, sadly, one of the things that's being affected is self-esteem because once we do put ourselves on display, then we sit and we wait. And we all wait for the same thing. We wait for the like. Because we all want to be liked. Sadly, what's happening, though, is we're seeing the repercussions of this. And in our society, we've seen depression go to an all-time high. We've seen teen suicide go to an all-time high. And for us, as not only parents, but as grandparents, as, as people who care about this younger generation, we don't know how to respond. And it's interesting, when I see parents, particularly in the church, respond, I see two extremes. I see one extreme that if we were to divide this room right down the middle, and let's say we took the left half of the room, I would say that would be what I'd call the overly permissive parent. That's the parent that realizes when it comes to all this different stuff, they're just like, hey, what are you going to do? You know, hey, you, you know, not much you can do anyway. So they just hand their kids a screen. And we've seen sometimes historically overly permissive parents. We've seen what they look like in Hollywood when they allow their kids to do anything they want. And sometimes when you just kind of, you know, go that route, sometimes you even look back. And we've seen some of those parents who did go that route look back and go, man, I, I wish I would have maybe done something different. Maybe I wish I would have been the parent instead of trying to be the friend, the peer, the parent, as we call them. And you know, I'm not blaming that parent. This parent has good intentions. They want a relationship with their kid. And sometimes they just become the yes parent because they find that it's easier to just say yes because, wow, that was easy. I didn't have to fight as much. But that yes parent, also we find that sometimes we're doing triage because we didn't save our kids from some of the trouble because we just kept saying yes to everything. Well, what happens very often, again, especially in the church, is when we see a parent like that, what do we do? We swing the pendulum completely over to the opposite side, and then we become the overprotective parent. And the overprotective parent um, is the parent that maybe says, hey, I, I know how to solve this technology thing. Forget it. We're going to unplug everything, and we're going to move to Amish, Pennsylvania. Problem solved, okay? We'll have no technology. We'll take a buggy to church. Well, there's a problem with that. And first of all, 
I've been to Amish Pennsylvania. I speak. I talk with parents there. And guess what? They're going through the exact same struggles. Matter of fact, when I was there last time, I went to their, um, their French store. They have their um, Target. And uh, as I went in there, I thought, hey, let me check, you know, since... Amish, Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, uh, Pennsylvania, every, you know, it, apparently everything's, you know, this is the mecca of purity out here, right? There's no pressures at all. So I walked into the store, and it was interesting. I looked, and the first thing I saw was the magazine racks. It's funny, exact same magazines, exact same stuff. There's these big screens in the back of the uh, store there, exact same music videos playing. As a matter of fact, they're in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. They're going through the exact same stuff. We can't escape this. Sometimes the overprotective parent thinks, hey, I know what I can do. I can guard my kid from all this stuff. And what we sadly sometimes end up doing is, because it's not that boundaries are bad. Boundaries are great. But if we think that we can make all these decisions for our kid, our kids never learn how to make decisions for themselves. And so for some of us, we sit there and we think, well, wait a second. Well, Jonathan, I mean, I want to have boundaries, but I also want to have bonding with my kid. I mean, both these things are good, but maybe neither of these extremes are good. So what do we do? And with technology, it even becomes more difficult as God's people. We sit there and say, man, we want to follow God and love him, but yet there's distractions coming through every Wi-Fi signal today. How do we respond? How do we teach her this next generation to love God and to, and, to, and to worship Him and stuff when, when the world is telling us to worship so many other things. What's that look like? What's it look like when it comes to some of the simple th- things? And I know that a lot of parents this afternoon, they're coming with simple ideas of going, hey man, how do I, you know, do I not let my kids have this in their bedroom? Do I make them turn it off at night? Do we use some of these new screen time features where it turns off at a certain time? What's that look like? Well, there's actually some people that actually have surveyed and asked parents about some of these limitations and, and, and how they feel about this. And they ask teenagers and parents. And it's interesting what parents say, uh, 65% of parents actually worry about their kids spending too much time on their screens. And 57% say that they limit when and how often their teen can access screens. So a little over half are actually saying, okay, we're, we're going to use some of those features. We're going to try to block it. Well, it's interesting there are some people asking teenagers and saying, okay, tell us, this screen time thing, is this becoming a problem? Uh, are you spending too much time on their phone? And it's interesting because what a lot of teens are sharing in secret is, hey, you know what, mom and dad, you could try to limit my phone and you can do that kind of stuff if you want. But when you take away my device at night, you may not realize how many devices I actually have. In other words, you might take away my phone, but did you realize that my old iTouch actually gets onto those exact same apps? Oops, sorry, didn't mean to let the cat out of the bag, teenagers. Uh, Sure, uh, you might know about my Instagram account, but do you know about my second Instagram account, my fake Instagram, my Finstagram account? These are the issues that are going on in the world right now that are making things difficult where we as parents, we as grandparents, we as as a church, as we look at this next generation... We're making, it's difficult. And a lot of us, we're sitting there saying, well, where do we look for guidance? I mean, does Scripture talk about how to deal with social media? I mean, we can look at these great parenting passages. Like you look at this foundational parenting passage in Deuteronomy where Moses talked kind of like I'm talking to you, not just to moms and dads, but to the entire, you know, you know, congregation of God's people. And he said, hey, guys, let's remember 
God is not going to just impress this on us, but we need to impress this onto our children. In other words, we need to pass it on to the next generation. And in this scripture, he actually got specific. And look how specific he got when he talks about how we're going to pass on truth to the next generation. He says, impress it on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. That's pretty specific. I mean, think about that real quick. If Moses were to say that to us today, hey, guys, you want to pass on the truth to your kids? Here's what it looks like as you're getting up. As you're walking along the road, as you're going to bed at night, here's what we're doing. We're talking about truth during this. And some of you are like, uh, hey, hold on for a second, Jonathan uh, or Moses or whoever is telling us this. Um, do you realize I have a job? I mean, I'd love to morning, noon, and night be passing on the truth to my kids. But, uh, I mean, honestly, we're at work. The kids are at school. They're at sports. Who has that much time? I mean, we try to have family dinners. We might even try to have family devotions. But I mean, this whole morning, noon, night thing, who has their kids' ears that long? Maybe we should ask that question again. Who has their kids' ears that long? There's actually people who do the research on that, and they know the answer to that question. And the answer to how much time young people spend on the entertainment media, you know, I'll give you the round number. 12 through 17-year-olds, about nine hours a day. That's exactly, entertainment media has our kids' ears. Oh, and they break it down for you. They'll tell you exactly how much on each device, how much time it's spent. And honestly, if you look and you go, oh, wow, only just under three hours for a smartphone, some of you guys are sitting there going, man, I tell you, it's got to be longer than that, that young people are staring at their phones, because it seems like they're always staring at their phones. But what has happened is because we have so much entertainment media influencing us, they have our ears that much time, it's changing everything. Now, some people are sitting there saying, Jonathan, doesn't that sound like an overreaction? Are you sure it's changing everything? Uh, Let me tell you something that's changed in the last five years. I'll give you one word, the word selfie, okay? The word selfie. If I would have said the word selfie in 2012, you would have said, huh? Because it wasn't a word. Yeah, that's how fast things have changed. It wasn't worth. Think about this. No Snapchat, no Instagram. They were just emerging onto the scene. At that point, America had barely crossed the 50% mark for having these smartphones in their pockets. As a matter of fact, only 41% of 12 to 17-year-olds in 2012 had smartphones in their pockets. So selfie was not a thing. As a matter of fact, adults probably weren't really even starting to get aware of the selfie thing till 2013, 2014. Remember the legendary Oscar selfie, right? You know? And all of a sudden, it became more of this thing. And now every celebrity's got a selfie. Like the famous Kardashian sister selfie. Is, oh, wait, maybe that's the wrong picture. I can't tell which one's which, I'm not really sure. But the average millennial uh, takes nine selfies a week, spending seven minutes on average perfecting each one. That's 54 hours of selfies each year. That's 25,700 selfies in a lifetime. That's a whole lot of self. And this is all now that we have a device in our back pocket. And this device that we get to spend so much time in, and by the way, it's not this device. We have all kinds of devices. We love our devices, let's be honest. When you add up all that time, all that we're soaking in, somebody has our ears for quite a lot during the day. And what's happening to us as a culture when we're just absorbing this much of secular culture 
minute in, minute out, every minute of the day. We live in a world right now where the average person spends more time staring into screen than they do with their spouse or with their family. So how do you respond to a generation that we're raising that are absolutely being immersed in secular culture? Oh, they might get a little sprinkle of the Bible on Sunday. Might get a little bit, maybe if we drop them off in youth group midweek. But how do we possibly respond to a generation that is absolutely absorbed in everything in our culture right now? You know what? Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17 because in a world so full of distractions, um, we want to stare at the truth here. Acts chapter 17, as I stare at this right here, uh, this is great because this is the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul actually runs into a group of people who are very comfortable with culture, and they're absorbing it so much that it's changing the way they think. Sound familiar? He runs into a culture of people in Acts chapter 17, I want to take you to verse 16, because that's where he goes to Athens. And in verse 16... And we're going to see Paul go to Athens. And Athens is this kind of town where there's a lot of import and export. So there's a lot of people from foreign countries coming in and out. And Athens has kind of the mindset of everything's okay. Sound familiar? Everything's true. In Athens, anybody's chariot has a sticker on the back that says coexist, right? You know? Everything's okay. All your gods are welcome here. And as a matter of fact, what we're going to see is when the Apostle Paul, a man whose life has been completely, radically changed by Jesus, a man who met Jesus on the road and whose life was so radically changed by Jesus that now everywhere he goes, Paul's got to tell people about Jesus. And when he gets to Athens, he wants to share Jesus with them. And he starts walking around and he says, first, I've got to find out a little bit about these people. And he's going to start walking around right now while he's waiting for his friends to arrive. Let's look. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly, what's the next word? Distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now pause right there for a quick second. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul walks around in the city of Athens and Athens allowed so much of, you know, everything, I mean, you know, everything's okay. So he's walking around, there's literally this God, this God, this God, this God. He even looks, there's this one God that says, to an unknown God, just in case they missed one. You know, they, they had one there. And he's looking at all these different gods that Athens embracing. And Paul, a man of God who knew the one true God and who had met Jesus face to face, Paul was distressed when he saw this polytheism, this Basically, people putting their hope in a bunch of stuff that was going to let him down. And when he looked at the culture, he was distressed with what he saw. How many of you guys, when you look around into the window of culture, if you look in the youth culture window, for example, how many of you guys are distressed with what you see? One thing that can be scary is some of us, we allow ourselves to get so comfortable that maybe it doesn't even distress us at all anymore. Paul was so radically changed by Jesus and so radically changed by the truth, when he saw the lies, it distressed him. And when he saw what was going on in the culture, 
literally his stomach churned because he knew that people were putting their hope in stuff that wasn't going to last. Um, we have an organization called The Source for Youth Ministry and The Source for Parents. And on our Source for Parents site, we actually have these Youth Culture Window articles. That's just a free website we have for parents, thesourceforparents.com, with all kinds of articles for parents and help on, on hey, in a world full of lies, how do we point towards truth? And uh, our Youth Culture Window articles, we kind of glimpse around it, hey, what are some of the um, things that are going on in the world of young people today that are distressing? I tell you, many of the articles we've been writing re recently have to do with this. And we link a bunch of articles, too. I don't know how many of you guys saw the New York Times article uh, just a few months ago that came out about all the people in the Silicon Valley, all these tech experts. When they leave to go to work and work on screens all day, they're these tech experts who know the power of screens. They knew the lure of social media. Their instructions to their nannies are no screens for the kids. You could take the kids to the park. You could take them on walks. You could play outside. No screens. Matter of fact, many of those experts who work with screens, like, for example, Chris Anderson, former editor of Wired, he says when talking about screens, on the scale between candy and crack cocaine, it's closer to crack cocaine when you start looking at how screens become addicting in our lives. And when you start to look at the apps that young people are frequenting and, and that we like so much, it's not that these are bad. I'm not telling you these are bad things. Man, we can use these actually for good, but some of these apps are starting to change the way people think about themselves. One of the things I'm going to touch on this afternoon when we look into this world of youth culture window at our parent workshop, we're going to spend some time looking into the world of youth culture window. It's going to be a sobering look. That's why I don't want you to bring your kids. We're going to take a peek at some of the influences they're affecting, and then we're going to not just look at that and go, good luck. <laughs> we're going to say, okay, how do we respond? And that's what we're going to do this afternoon. One of the things we're going to look at is, for example, there's this kind of, you know, interesting situation we've set. And, and a lot of us were just learning because, honestly, this is only five years that our country's really had this device in their pocket. Five or six years that the majority of the country has had this in their pocket. So we're kind of learning this stuff through trial and error. And one of the things we're learning is, hey, in a world right now where where kids are getting their self-esteem by how many friends they have, they're kind of more eager to accept friend requests, even from people that they don't know. And so what are the ramifications when you're accepting friends, people you've never met before, and those same friends know wherever you are on a map at any given time because of some of the nice, cool features we have on these apps? We live in a world that almost encourages us to talk to strangers now. These are things, last week I was in Wisconsin doing school assemblies, talking about this very thing. This is one of the things I write about, talking to young people all the time about, hey, do you realize that these, you know, do you know, have you met face-to-face -face every person you're talking to before? This is the world we live in. This is the culture we live in right now. As families, sometimes the entertainment that we're gleaning, you know, we might say, okay, we're going to watch this as a family show. And sometimes families aren't even aware of what shows are being offered on the devices. It's interesting when you actually turn towards, like, for example, Netflix and look at, I love this, teen TV shows. Teen TV shows, you know, Gossip Girl, Skins. These are teen TV shows? A lot of parents don't even know how to jump in and go and set some of the settings on this. Or even if they do, they think, oh, my kids are safe because they can only watch clean TV 14 shows. Clean 
TV 14 shows. And a lot of us, we have no idea what our kids are actually watching in their bedrooms. I say watching. I haven't even talked about listening. When it comes to listening, music is one of those influences where if we, like the Apostle Paul, were walking around the city of Athens and just looking right now, possibly the Apostle Paul would just put on a set of headphones right now and say, let me listen to the culture and see what's going on. It's interesting how much this has changed in the last five years. You used to be able to, it's funny, Christian parents used to say, well, as long as my kids aren't listening to anything explicit. Well, welcome to the land of Spotify, you guys. You don't really choose what's explicit and what's not. And ready? Here's the top songs right here. And when you look at the top songs, well, what do you see? Explicit, 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 explicit. These are the top songs literally in America right now. And when it comes to the role models now that of the, and those songs that we just looked at right here, these are the role models right now that our kids are listening to day in and day out. And the question is, what are they learning from these role models? Because believe it or not, these role models, they all have Instagram stories. What are they talking about in their Instagram stories? What do our kids see if they jump on YouTube? This afternoon, I'm going to give you a sobering peek. How about I give you like a five-second peek? Here's the number one song in America right now. Five-second peek. That's poetry today, folks. Uh, so we'll take a little look this afternoon. We'll look at that. We'll kind of look a little bit more at this, too. Can't even show that on Sunday morning. But again, this is what young people have access to. And for how long? Well, Nielsen actually adds it up. Music alone averages four and a half hours a day. Music alone. And by the way, that just went up uh, in 2000, end of 2018. They always show, in 2018, they show their 2017 numbers. They compared 2017 to 2016. Music listening went up an average of 47 minutes a day more in that year alone. That's never happened before. It's because readily available, because we're a world full of devices. We'll talk more about that this afternoon, by the way. And uh, we'll also go into what your family doctor actually recommends. What can we do with some of these screen time features? What are some of the stuff we can do? But many of us, as we're sitting here saying, okay, hey, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, and when I take a glimpse into our culture, I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul when I look at all the idols around, and I'm kind of distressed. And for some of us, we're distressed, but sadly, the common parental response, the common parental reaction is overreaction. The common reaction is to freak out. As a matter of fact, many of us, we end up being like this guy. Uh, this is a guy who found out that his daughter had, had jumped on social media and said some bad stuff about the family, whatever. So he took, yeah, he took matters into his own hands. Uh, watch this. Ridiculous. Not happening. Disrespectful to me, your mother, your stepmother, your family, your friends, and yourself. So I'm, I'm going to put a stop to it. And I'm going to put a stop to it right now. That right there is your laptop. You see it's out here on the ground. This right here is my 45. Well, there you go. Well, I guess that's one way to handle it. Uh, how many of you guys are like, no, no, you, you should have used a shotgun there, buddy. You, 
you have your friend toss it in the air and yell, pull. See, sadly, what we don't realize is sometimes when we flip out and do that, and by the way, I'm not saying let your kids do whatever you want. That's not what we're talking about. But when we lose our temper and we flip out, what happens, honestly, is our kids, you know, there's a reaction they have to our overreaction. Sometimes they'll sit there and say, okay, well, we can't talk to dad because he's going to freak out. So what do they do? They clam up. And I've had so many parents say, my kids will never talk with me. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, about how do we balance bonding and boundaries? What's that look like? So some of you guys are saying, well, Jonathan, then, then how are we supposed to respond? How do we respond to all this culture literally infesting our lives like this? Well, Don't take my word for it. Let's go back to this passage. Here we are, Acts 17. We saw the Apostle Paul. He was there. He looks in Athens. He sees all these idols. So what's he do? Is he going to flip out? Is he going to tip over the idols? Is he going to start yelling and getting angry? Let's look. So he, what's the next word? Reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. Then it starts talking about these philosophers that began to debate. That word debate means this healthy argument. They start to basically discuss. And what's he saying? He seems to be advocating foreign gods, they said, because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. You guys, I know we're running short on time. I wish we had time to read this whole thing. Matter of fact, if you go, you actually get a glimpse because they brought him there and he gave one of the most probably the most famous messages there, which was more of this discussion, and he stood up in Mars Hill, which is the meeting of the Areopagus there, and as he stood up, he talked, and he basically said, hey, whoa, Athenians, you guys are so religious. I mean, I have seen your gods, and wow, you guys are religious. As a matter of fact, you guys even have an unknown god. Hey, let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. And he always was. He is the one true God who created the world from the beginning. And he used their idols as a springboard to talk about truth. You see, Paul, no matter where he went, he found ways to dialogue about truth. And as parents, maybe one of the things we should start thinking about doing is instead of overreacting, we should start interacting. Instead of overreacting, we should start interacting. So often, we as parents, we overreact and we start trying to raise our kids with boundaries alone, and our kids need our bonding. You see, in parenting, there's bonding and there's boundaries. Bonding is hanging out with our kids, talking with our kids. Boundaries is, sorry, you can't have a phone in your bedroom. No, you need to be home at this time. Both these are very essential in a parenting-child relationship. Sometimes parents will end up focusing on only one or the other. And if all we do is focus on the rules and never interact and never have a relationship with our kids, you know where values are passed on? In conversations. Our values aren't passed on through our curfew. Curfews can help. They can be handy guardrails. But we need to find opportunities to interact with our kids about truth. Um, I wrote a book that was a little debatable in the Christian world a while ago. I'll just show you the title. 
the zombie apocalypse survival guide for teenagers. And people were like, wait a second, zombies, aren't those bad? You know what this book is? This book is just an excuse to talk about Jesus. This book is a fictional story of three teenagers surviving in a post-apocalyptic world. And in every situation they get in, the question they're asking is, what's the right thing to do? So all this book is a little bit of story, scripture, discussion questions. It's family devotions, all right? That's all it is. It's our daily bread for teenagers. It's story, scripture, discussion questions. We need to look for opportunities in a world so full of lies to talk about truth. And let me tell you something. If you're a mom or dad, there's going to be times that we're going to see our kids are going to be distracted by something, maybe on a screen. It's going to happen. What do we do? Do we overreact, take everything away, block everything, and hope that someday, miraculously, when they turn 18 and they move out on their own, oh, and they will, that they're going to figure it out on their own? Or do we start dialoguing with them about truth and teaching them to make these decisions? You know, it's interesting. So often, whenever I hear someone preach on this subject, a lot of people love to, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. But you know where transformation happens? Look at this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All through Scripture, we see this process of God renewing our mind. Colossians chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart, some say set your minds, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, you know what's so interesting? As he goes on and he talks about this transformation of our mind, he starts talking about what it's going to look like. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs in your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desire, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Compare that to, I want it, I got it, <laughs> I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. I mean, it's just kind of interesting. Get put to death this stuff, or I want it. I got it. See, some of us might sometimes kind of gravitate to one of these extremes or the other. Some of us, maybe we just keep freaking out. Sadly, a lot of us, we sit there and we watch that certain news station and we get so mad at where this world is and what do we do? We just start yelling and freaking out and what we don't realize is we're just putting up this barrier between us and our kids. What if we, like the Apostle Paul, turned our overreaction into interaction and we started, like the Apostle Paul, dialoguing about truth in a world so full of lies our kids need to hear the truth. What's that look like in your home? What's that look like in your workplace? What's that look like in your community? We're going to dive into a lot more of what that looks like this afternoon. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your love, and I thank you for who you are. Um, God, this is way bigger than us. As a matter of fact, if we're a mom or a dad or a grandparent or... or or someone here who just cares about this younger generation and we're burdened to, to start these conversations, um, we can't do this on our own. As a matter of fact, we fail big time if we try to do this on our own. We need you transforming our minds, transforming our thoughts, making us more like you. 
So, Lord God, that this conversation just flows out of this because that's who we are. God, I pray that we can be radically changed by Jesus, like the Apostle Paul was radically changed by Jesus. And, Lord, that as we're changed, as people, when people see the hope in us, they ask us to give us to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And we're ready to give them that, Lord God. God, do this through this. We pray uh, today and we pray for this parent workshop. Bring who needs to be there, Lord God, the parents and the grandparents and the people in the community. We pray these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you this afternoon.